they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers here. <laughs> We're getting the cameras readjusted here. Terry was standing for his program. Ooh, I'm back. So he's back. It's so. nice to be wanted, my love. Thank you. Thank you, dear. All right, well, let's get into our, what are we going to do first, the uh, scripture, or do I have a question for you first? What's, well, we, do the readings? Uh, we wanted to do the readings for okay. the day here, and um, oh, we, have, a powerful prayer. we have a real powerful prayer here we can start with for the church, and uh, yeah. we have the churches in great need right now. And so where does this prayer come from? The Opus Angelorum, and you can go to their website, www.opusangelorum.org, it's all one word, Good. and the prayer is for the church in need. Lord Jesus Christ, back then during the storm on Lake Gennesaret, you pretended to be asleep to test your disciples' strength of faith and trust. Today, too, the bark of your church is in a violent storm, such as it has scarcely ever withstood. The enemy has penetrated into the church and wants to breach the bark from within so that it may sink. O Lord, do not sleep. Do not test our fidelity to faith any longer and look upon our frightened hearts. Stretch out your hand and command the enemy to leave the bark whose hull he tries to tear open. Accept our pleas and our expiatory commitment and give your angels the strength of decisive help. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, the reading today, I don't want to just do the gospel because the reading from Romans, I think, is so absolutely vital, especially for our I want to hear because we did the same thing on our show. (laughs) It's Romans 1, 16 through 25, and it's Paul's letter to the Romans. And brothers and sisters, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, for Jews first and then Greek. For in it is revealed the righteousness of God from faith to to faith, as it is written, the one who is righteous by faith will live. The wrath of God is indeed being revealed from heaven against every impiety and wickedness of those who suppress the truth by their wickedness. For what can be known about God is evident to them because God made it evident to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes of eternal power and divinity have been able to be understood and perceived in what he has made. As a result, they have no excuse. For although they knew God, they did not accord him glory as God or give him thanks. Instead, they became vain in their reasoning And their senseless minds were darkened. While claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the likeness of an image of mortal man or of birds or four-legged animals or of snakes. Therefore, God handed them over to impurity through the lusts of their hearts for the mutual degradation of their bodies. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and revered and worshipped the creature Mm. rather than the creator 
who is blessed forever. Amen. Amen. The creator is blessed forever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Paul hits pretty hard there. And the deal is, number one, that God exists is not an article of faith. We don't need the gift of faith to know that God exists. That's a good point. Yeah. We can know that God exists from what he created. There can't be creation if there wasn't someone who was uncreated to begin the creation. That's just reasonable. Like what we call the first cause. Right. The first, exactly. The first cause. And even the Greeks, even the pagans knew this. There has to be a God. That's why every pagan religion tried to worship some form of God. But oftentimes this is what they did. Instead of getting to God, they got stuck on the creature. Wouldn't you say the Greeks made a huge effort to try and find out who God was? Yeah, and some of them made greater efforts. Socrates actually figured it out. He figured that all of their pagan gods that were made in the image of man were not gods at all. No, that there's a God, one God, who created everything, who's transcendent. And Socrates went so far, and this this was a man, he didn't have the faith, but he went so far as to come to realize that if I want to know the true God, I need to live a virtuous, disciplined, mortified life. He didn't give in to the immorality of his time. Smart man. Yeah, it's incredible. He was just without divine revelation. Exactly. He came to know this, you know, through through his desire to know the truth. So we can know that God exists and we can even know that he is one and that to come to know him, that we have to live a virtuous, disciplined, mortified life. And Socrates knew that. And I I would encourage you to finish reading that chapter of Romans, chapter one. As Paul goes on to talk about the specific type of immorality, that if, if we aren't faithful to God, if we do not acknowledge God as our creator and worship him as he deserves to be worshiped and thank him as he should be thanked, then we give in to the immorality of the flesh. We, we talked about that an hour earlier yeah. about homosexuality. Paul calls them out. He does. About women you know, doing things with women and men doing you know, exactly. immoral things. And so the Bible is very clear. That's why yeah. I think, and this is my take on it, it's important for us as followers of Christ to really read Scripture and complete. Yeah. You know, yeah. like we have the daily readings today, but I would encourage people to go on a few more chapters. Right, and and, and do read the rest of Romans chapter one and and pray about it. And the thing is, I'm not I'm not condemning people to hell here, and I'm not saying that oh awful horrible. I'm a sinner. I go to confession on a frequent and regular basis. Yeah, and I try to do it more than once a month, just because I know that I need God's help. We're all sinners. It's like Bishop Sheen said to the prisoners. You know, you know what am I going to say to these guys? They're all prisoners. They're going to look at me and they say, oh, what is this this bishop of the Catholic Church? This this guy from his protected ivory tower of whatever. What does he know about anything about life? And so he prayed about it. And the words that came to him from the Holy Spirit were, gentlemen, there's only one difference between you and I. You got caught. I didn't. We're all sinners. We're all, sinners. <laughs> We're all in this together. And everybody has a proclavity to a particular sin. There's the seven capital sins, you know, that we all have a particular proclavity to. And then all of our other sins arise from that. And some people are more drawn to lust than they are to anger or pride or greed or you know, gluttony or, but, but sin is sin. And, and we're not called to live a life of sin. We're called to live a life in union with God, a life of freedom from sin, not a life of debauchery, a life of self-control and freedom. When we practice debauchery, St. Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, Mm -hmm. the immoral man sins against his own body. He degrades himself. So immorality is not, 
We were made for God. We weren't made for immorality. We were made for immortality, union with God on earth and in heaven for all eternity. And that means to live according to the laws that God has set forth. So we need to pray and ask the Lord to show us what it is we need to live. And it's interesting because in the gospel of Luke, the Pharisee is there and he's looking at Jesus. He's invited Jesus to dine with him and Jesus doesn't wash his hands before eating. And the Pharisee is like, oh, look at him, such a wretch. He didn't even wash his hands. The Pharisee is only seeing the external. You see, when God, does, when God looks at us, he doesn't see just the external. Yes, he does see our external actions. And if they degrade us, it, it offends him because sin offends God. God is, a, God is real. And sin is a real offense against God who is real. So the guilt that it produces is real because we were made out of love. God is love and he loves us. But it has to go deeper. What is in the depths of my heart? You know, and, and sometimes, yeah, there are people who are operating under compulsion or addiction. And sometimes the compulsion doesn't come from their own habits. Sometimes the compulsion comes from their being molested or, or, or um, abused. Okay. But you can overcome the compulsion with the grace of God. Turn to the Lord in your need and you will live. Praise be the Lord, I exclaim, and I am safe from our enemies. The devil wants us to believe that all the best we can do is live in sin. And that's all that God expects of us. No, God wants us to live in union with him. We were made by God. We were made for God. We were made to live in union with God. And so what Paul is saying in Romans here and what's happening in Luke, we have to look at the inside and turn our hearts over to the Lord and give our hearts fully to the Lord and ask the Lord to free us from our compulsions and our addictions and our sins. And I want to add the way to do that from St. Thomas, St. St. Alphonsus Liguori, effects of living in the presence of God, because that's how Absolutely. we avoid sin. Absolutely. It preserves us from sin. It increases our faith. It strengthens our hope. It perfects our love. And I might add, it brings us closer to our guardian angels. And as I always say, the unemployment rate for guardian angels is way too high. And a doctor of the church, St. Alphonsus Liguori, tells us, there is no more efficacious means of subduing the passions of resisting temptations and consequently avoiding sin that my wife's talking about than by the remembrance of the presence of God. Absolutely. And, you know, I take this from my book, How to Share Your Faith with Anyone. I, uh, I would encourage you to pick it up by calling 877-526-215. I'll make a little plug here. Tomorrow morning I'm going to be on Relevant Radio for an hour talking on evangelization. Yes, they're letting me come back for an hour. Thank you, Relevant Radio. I might add, I'm, I'm grateful because they're going to be um, having this on the L.A. station, which is, uh, you know, the station I was instrumental in getting for Immaculate Heart Radio, which Relevant Radio plays. So it's kind of neat that the station that I help, you know, get the funding for, I'm going to be on tomorrow morning, actually the weekend. So um, I'm grateful for that. Mary, when we, uh, one more thing I want to mention about living in the presence of God because of what you said about sin. Brother Lawrence an author of a 17th century classic on the subject, he said, the first benefit a person receives from practicing the presence of God is increase of faith. Don't we need to ask Jesus every day for more faith? Absolutely. Faith is a gift if you want to ask for it. Lord, I believe. Increase thou my faith. Wow. I hear the music. Yeah, I don't too. hear it, but I know it's coming. It's coming. I hear it. <laughs> and uh, hear when it. we come back, we're going to get right back into our Bible study. But I have a question that you asked. One of the questions today about the Bible, you're not going to want to miss it. You're listening to the Bible with the Bible. We'll be right back.
welcome to our January 11th, 2020 Spiritual Warfare Conference. Every year without fail, this is our most popular, well-attended event. This year's Spiritual Warfare Conference will host Adam Bly, a Catholic demonologist, and an auxiliary member of the International Association of Exorcists, along with Dr. Luis Sandoval, a psychiatrist who's part of the Healing, Deliverance, and Exorcism team for the Diocese of Orange. These two gentlemen bring tons of experience and expertise in the area of spiritual warfare. This is going to be a high-information Catholic seminar. I'll be there as well, sharing some riveting stories on the diabolical and liberation found through Jesus Christ from my best-selling book, The Devil in the City of Angels. Mark your calendars, come and join us, and meet other radio hosts from Jesus 911. Contrary to popular belief, spiritual warfare is not demon-centered. It's Christ-centered. Come join us and learn how to armor up and fight the good fight of faith. Catholics, wake up. Don't hit the snooze button. Join us at St. Christopher Catholic Church, 629 South Glendora Avenue, West Covina, California, on January 11, 2020. See you then. Strength and honor in Jesus' name. Genesis 1.27 says, God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. According to Pope St. John Twenty-Third, it is not true that some human beings are by nature superior and others inferior. All human beings are equal in their natural dignity. May God help us to look upon everyone as a person created in His image and likeness and treat everyone the same without favoritism or prejudice. or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites the Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%! Realestateforlife.org 877-LIFE-US-1 Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary. we got to talk Al. into the mic. Welcome back to the Terry. Welcome back <laughs> to the Bible with on? the Barbers. Mary Danielle, you've been studying the Bible most of your life, and we get you answer lots of questions on the app yeah. at Virgin Most Powerful. Here's a question from a listener. What in Scripture indicates to us that the church is a divine institution, and not just a man-made institution that we hear sometimes from theologians. Well, you know, I think there's a lot that indicates it. First of all, in the Old Testament, God called his people. He chose his people and called them, and then he gave them the outlines for how they were supposed to conduct worship of God. Okay. You know, he, he told, Very he clear. told, yeah, he told, he gave Abraham, uh, Moses specific directions on how to build the, the tabernacle and the temple and the, the Ark of the Covenant first. And, and then, and the priesthood and the vestments the priesthood wear. It's, it's, it's a lot of people find it tedious to read, but it's, it's, it's very instructive to read the old Testament and learn what it was like. God had established the, the worship of God in the old Testament. And then when Jesus comes, Jesus tells, he asks his apostles, he says, you know, who do men say that I am? And you know, Oh, uh, Moses, Elijah, one of the prophets, you know, who knows? And then he said, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers and he says, you are 
the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you are rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. Well, it's interesting because, you know, his name was Simon, which meant a, a reed swayed in the wind. But, um, you know, the, sometimes uh, modern theologians like to argue about rock and rock. You know, in, in Greek, the word for rock is a, is a female noun, Petra, for a b- big, huge boulder, foundation stone. But in uh, Peter's name is Petros. Jesus gives him the name Petros. And so obviously, well, you see, Jesus wasn't speaking Greek when he spoke it. Yes, it's written in Greek. So in Greek, you have to follow the rules of grammar. Jesus was speaking in Aramaic, and he said, you are Kepha. He gave Peter a new name, and his name was Kepha. Kepha was the kind of foundation stone that the temple was built on. And on this rock, I will build my church. And in, in Aramaic, there's no confusion. Okay, the confusion comes in the, in, the, in the translation of the Greek into the English, and then the re- it actually didn't come until after the rejection of Peter as the head of the church in, in the um, Reformation and in the, actually first in the, in the ten hundreds in the split between the East and the West. So we have that. We have Jesus establishing. And then if you look at 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the household of God is the church, which is the pillar and foundation, the pillar and bulk work of the faith. And you can compare to um, Colossians 2.9 and Ephesians 2.20, where the church is established by Christ, and it is the pillar and foundation of the church, of the, the truth. It's Christ establishes his church. He is God made man. You know, if Christ is God and he says, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church, singular, my church, you know, Jesus is God. When he speaks the word, it happens, right? So he built his church. And there's some other things in the New Testament that reveal to us about the mystery of the church. The church is called the mystical body of Christ. Read 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27, and Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, where it talks about the body and that the body has many parts, but all our members. And so we are, there's one body and we are individually members of the body. Okay. And then we have in Ephesians 4, 15 and Colossians 1, 18 and 2, 19, that Christ is the head of his body, the church. And so the church was willed by God. Why? Why would we need the church? I mean, we have God, right? Well, why? <laughs> because we're human. Even in the Old Testament, did the people, even though Christ gave them the, God gave them the, excuse me, God through the ministry of the angels gave them the Ten Commandments, but did they follow them? You know, were they perfectly obedient to Moses or did they rebel against Moses? And they did. And then you have Jesus founding his church, and then are we perfectly obedient to the church? Or is this still this problem of disobedience and rebellion? And scripture alone, well, the difficulty with scripture alone is the scriptures as we know it didn't even exist until as as a body of books, it wasn't declared and canonized. That means which books are canonical, actually inspired by script by God, wasn't declared until the late 300s and the early 400s when the Catholic Church, the bishops of the Catholic Church, so the bishops of the Catholic Church give us the scriptures. And so it is the church that gives us what is scripture. And how can this be? Because Jesus promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church, that he would give the Holy Spirit to the church, and that the, 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 the Peter, the head of the church, 
who is our Holy Father, and the bishops in union with him could not teach us error in matters of faith and morals. And I know there's a lot of confusion out there today, but there's something else. Remember what we read today in the first reading from Romans. If we do not listen to God, if we rebel against God and we insist that I get to do it my way, you know, the famous songs of today, I did it my way, you know, or people say they're their own God. You know, I don't have to believe in God anymore because I'm God. I'm a God. And, and the new age movement and the, the confusion that's in the world. Are we as Christians standing against it and giving clarity? Are we buying into it? The entertainments we watch, the music that we listen to, the, the books and the, and the magazines and the periodicals that we read, the, the talk shows that we listen to, those things are all teaching us something. Are we countering the false teaching of the world, the flesh, and the devil with the teachings of Christ? Do you spend as much time reading the scriptures and praying as you do watching TV and listening to music and entertaining yourself? We're not in this world to be entertained. So there's a lot in the Bible that points to us that, yes, Jesus Christ really founded his church, Mm -hmm. and it is a divine institution. And it's interesting because in 1984, when Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger gave his interview with a a journalist, and and it was printed up as the Ratzinger Report. It's still available. It's still available. And he said in there, your faith comes down to your ecclesiology. How do you view the church? And ecclesiology is, yeah, how do you view the church? And so if you view the church as just a human institution and that, you know, things can change, like, like I'll give you an example right now. We're, we're right in Rome right now, and there's some successors of the apostles bringing up ordination for women regarding the diaconate. But Mary, even if they tried, it wouldn't be valid. Is that a it's, fair statement? It's not valid. And Pope John Paul II settled that 1994. question. Go back and read his document. It's not long, but it was definitive. Right. He said, we do not have the authority to do this. Women cannot be priests. And the diaconate is part of the priesthood. Now, in the old, in the New Testament, when it refers to women deaconesses, this is women who were specifically given a, a, a ministry within the church to catechize women yeah. who are preparing for baptism and to assist in the baptisms of women because, because sometimes baptisms were done by full immersion. It didn't always happen that way, but it did many times. And so women need to be ministered to by women. And so it wasn't that they were part of the priesthood. It's not that they had orders, holy orders, the ministerial priesthood. They had a specific ministry in the church that was given to them, but it was within limits. Yeah. And St. John Paul II said in that document, when you read it, that this issue is closed. It should not be addressed again. Exactly. And so we have disobedience going on. I mean, let's just be honest. And that's it. And that's, you know, again, the first reading today from Romans, are we going to rebel against God? Because when we rebel against the church, remember, Jesus said, whoever hears you, hears me. And whoever rejects you, rejects me. He said this to his apostles when he was sending them out. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he establishes authority within the church. And he established the church. He is the head of the church. And nothing can happen that he doesn't allow. And yes, he will allow sinful men to commit sin and even teach error. Yep. That's, it's not the first time in the history yep. of the church yep. where you've had bishops believing erroneous things. And even very high, you know, there have been popes in the past who had private opinions as private theologians that were erroneous. Okay, they didn't promulgate those as the faith of the entire church. But yes, that can happen. 
So we need to pray much and we need to not rebel against God. We need to give ourselves to the Lord and be obedient. Are we willing to give him the obedience of faith? Or are we just going to complain and whine and say, Lord, why aren't you doing it my way? Well, this is what we talked earlier in our show about um, Father Andy. He said that uh, uh, he said that he's calling the faithful to be praying in fear and trembling that Jesus might deliver us from this trial, but added that the Lord may want us to endure it yes. because only perhaps then may the church be freed from all sin and corruption that now lies within her and be be made holy and pure again. Exactly. And this is, you know, the, the mystery of the cross, the mystery of suffering. What did it take for God to redeem man? I mean, he could have done it. All, all Jesus had to do was take on humanity. Mm-hmm. And, and he, that's it. He's God. He unites humanity to himself and he can redeem. But he went to the cross. Why? Mm-hmm. To prove to us the depth of his love. And also, because of original sin, you know, suffering came as an intrusion. Mm-hmm. But the suffering has now, the meaning of suffering has tremendous value. Suffering can free us from attachment to ourselves, mm-hmm. free us from our sins, and it conforms us to Jesus Christ who suffered. So are we willing to suffer for the church? Or is it, oh no, Jesus did all the suffering. I don't need to suffer. No, that's not how it works. That's, that's not how it works. And it's not that we think that Christ is constantly on the cross. We know that he is in heaven glorified. But the reality is, is we're forgetful. Yes. We forget, you know, out of sight, out of mind, right? <laughs> Mary, just to back you up on that suffering issue, a good scripture verse is Colossians chapter one. I fill up what is lacking and the sufferings of Christ for the good of the church. And right. You remember what Dr. Hahn told us about that? Do we have a minute to tell the folks about about reading that and saying, I never saw that before? Isn't that what Dr. Hahn said? Oh, I remember talking. It was me. I talked yeah. to Scott Hahn, who's a famous you know, convert, and we talked about redemptive suffering. And he said, when I read that quote from Colossians, I had no idea what he was talking about. What's he talking about? I and, fill up in my own flesh yeah, what is lacking in the sufferings Christ, of Christ. Yeah. What's lacking in the sufferings of Christ? And how can I fill up anything within Christ? right. right. And then he understood that we every action is like a blank check. If Christ's name is on it, it has infinite value. And I think sometimes, you know, when we read Scripture, it's really important if we can go back to the fathers of the church. Yes, absolutely. They have such insights that we absolutely forget. We have amnesia. We do. We do forget them. And we need to go back and we need to look at how the early church read the Scripture and and what it saw. And that's what Newman, you know, you talked about, I know oh, you were talking yeah. about Newman and Jesse hey, and Terry John on the Henry Terry and Jesse Newman. show. We're talking about John Henry Newman and, and his uh, Apologia Pro Vita yeah. Sua. And, and he talks about the reality of how, you know, he came into the Catholic church. He thought the Catholic church was wrong and he was going <laughs> to prove it. So he went back and studied history. And so he ends up saying to be steeped in history is to cease to be Protestant. Yeah. Because if we fully know what the church teaches from from the beginning, what the Christians believe from the beginning, all of a sudden we recognize and realize, and this was Scott Hahn's discovery, and mm-hmm. that all the Protestant ministers who came into the church, they went back and read the fathers of the church, and they're like, whoa, these guys are sounding Catholic? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Beautiful. Christ Christ established his church, and yes, there's plenty of evidence in the scriptures. <laughs> What's up next, Mary? So we're going we're gonna to try and look at Acts of the Apostles here. And we want to look at Paul's final journey to Jerusalem. What happened in his final journey to Jerusalem? Be back in a few minutes. Don't go away.
Welcome, Daniel. You're on the line. What's on your mind, brother? Hi, I just wanted to share a testimony about Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I had a buddy at work who, you know, he's a lukewarm Catholic guy, and I wanted him to start listening to the Terry and Jesse show, so I kept telling him to download the app, and he kept putting me off. So one day, I grabbed his phone, and I downloaded the app for him. I went on vacation, and you know, I kept telling him to listen to it. He was kind of put me off. I came back from vacation. He comes to my cubicle, and he says to me, Hey, man, I've been listening to Terry and Jesse's show, and it's great. And it's uh, made a big impact in his life. The guy, he's going to weekly adoration a couple times a week. He goes to the mass in the morning. Mm -hmm. uh, He's an on-fire Catholic, and he promotes uh, the Terry and Jesse show and the Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Wow. Daniel, what a testimony. And I want to encourage our listeners to get those cards by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org and uh, do what Daniel's doing. Go out and spread the faith by inviting people to listen to Virgin Most Powerful. Daniel, thanks for your testimony, brother. God love you. You're welcome. This is Terry Barber. I want to invite you to take advantage of having your funeral or your loved one's funeral at the Sacred Heart Chapel in downtown Covina. It's a 115-year-old church, beautiful chapel, and all you got to do is call me at 661-972-7872, and I'll personally make the arrangements with your mortuary to have your funeral or your loved one's funeral here at Sacred Heart Chapel. You won't regret it. 661-972-7872. God love you. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites the Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US1. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. So welcome back. And now we're going to take a look at Paul's final journey to Jerusalem. This is Acts 21 through Acts 23. And we're going to try and get through this. And uh, here we go. Paul has, he's traveled around all of Asia now and he's, he's coming back. And he wants to get back to Jerusalem for Pentecost. So he arrives in Jerusalem. And you can read the beginning of Acts 21 to give you the details of how he arrived there. And he gets there and he meets with James. Now, this is not James, the brother of John. This is James, the son of Alphaeus, James the Less, who is the bishop of Jerusalem. And James tells him, he says, you know, Paul, the word is out that you are going around denigrating all, all Judaism. So what we want you to do is we want you to go up to the temple, take a Nazarite vow, do your seven days of fasting, and take with you four other Jewish men. These were all Jewish men. And you will pay to the, when, when they did this, they, they did penance and they prayed and they fasted. Then they would pay um, a stipend to the temple. I'm calling it a stipend. I don't think that's an alms or something to the temple. And so Paul was supposed to pay not only for himself, but the other men who were with him. So they go up to the temple and they're, they're doing this. And um, so Paul does this. And he's remember, Paul is an extremely observant Jew. Paul is, is um, he was raised in, in, um, he was born in Tarsus, raised in Jerusalem, studied at the feet of Gamaliel, and Gamaliel was a very well-known rabbi, 
and they gave him a special title. He was so well known and he was so revered by the Jewish people. And then, um, so Paul goes up there and he, he's already, you know, it's the seven days are almost complete and he's in the temple and all of a sudden there's some Jews there from Asia. Now these guys have been following him around, giving him trouble and they caught up with him in Jerusalem and, um, Say, you know, men of Israel, help. There's, here's this man who has gone all over the world and, and um, he's teaching everywhere against this people and the law and this place. And then he's brought Greeks into the temple. Well, if he actually brought Greeks into the inner temple, the place where the Jews were allowed only to go, that was a crime punishable by law in the Jewish worldview. And... Um, so he hadn't done that. He had walked about the city with a Greek, but he hadn't brought him into the temple. Paul knew not to bring Greeks into the temple. He didn't violate the Jewish law. As a matter of fact, when Paul takes Timothy with him on mission, Paul had Timothy circumcised because everybody, all the Jews in Tim- where Timothy grew up, knew that only Timothy's mother was a Jew and that he'd never been circumcised. So here Timothy gets to be circumcised as an adult in order not to scandalize the Jews of his area. And Paul is very careful about not about trying not to scandalize people. You know, he worked. He he was a tent maker. He preached all day and he worked all night making tents so that he wasn't dependent on other people for his living. He said, yes, I have a right to ask you to support me. I'm preaching the gospel to you. I'm giving you the means of eternal life by the grace of God. But I'm not I don't want to be a burden on you and I don't want to scandalize anybody. So this is, this is Paul. This is Paul's heart. This is his mind. He wants to make as many people come to know the love of God as possible. Even as a Jew, that's all he desired. He didn't want people to turn away from God. That's why he was so, and he was zealous. He, he persecuted the church to the point of death, he said. So these guys grab Paul and they drag him out of the temple. Now remember, there, was, there were a couple of courts in the temple and there was the, the inner court where only the Jewish men could go. There was the court for the Jewish women. And then there was an outer court for the Gentiles. And they drag him out into this outer court. They close the, the gates to the court where the, only the Jews can go. And they start beating him up physically. They're going to beat him up. Well, the Romans by this time had established a, a garrison, uh, the, the garrison of Antonia, uh, right there on the edge of the court. It was on the northeastern, I believe it was, northeastern section of the court of the Gentiles. It's attached to the temple so that the Romans could actually walk on the walkways above the temple to watch if anything was going on that would, you know, you're up above, you can look down, you can see if a crowd is starting to, to a riot. So they, they're, they become aware of this riot going on and this man being beaten up. So they run down there and they grab Paul and they, you know, as soon as the Romans come running, um, you know, they stop beating up Paul because they're going to get arrested by the Romans if they beat this man to, to death. So they stop and and the, the, the commander's trying to figure out what's going on, but there's conflicting, people are shouting one thing and the other, and they can't find out. So he arrests Paul, and he takes him inside, the, he's going to take him inside the garrison. And Paul speaks to him in Greek, and he says, can I speak to the people? And the Roman, the Roman commander's like, wait a minute, you speak Greek? Are you the Egyptian then who stirred up the, this, this riot that happened you know, a few years back? And Paul says, no, I'm not, I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew. I was born in Tarsus. I'm, you know, a citizen of Tarsus. And then so the commander says, okay, go ahead and speak. And then he turns to the people and he speaks to them in Aramaic. Now, as soon as he starts speaking Aramaic, everybody calms down. Wait a minute, this, 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 this guy's not a Greek. 
He's speaking Aramaic to us. He's speaking our own language. So Paul explains to them that he's there. He was born in Tarsus. He was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. And they all know who Gamaliel is. He was a, he was a very famous rabbi. And, um, and he was zealous. And he tells how he had persecuted the church to the point of death. But then this new way, they called it the way, um, he talks about his conversion on the road to Damascus and how he was struck blind and the Lord said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? By the way, this is where he got his doctrine of the church. Jesus Christ says not, why are you persecuting my followers? He says, why are you persecuting me? If you persecute the, 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 the body, you're persecuting the head. And Jesus had said, just like I've suffered, you're going to suffer. Again, suffering. Are we willing to suffer for Christ? And Paul, when Paul had left Asia, he told the people in Asia he would never come back. He was going to Jerusalem, and he knew that chains and imprisonment awaited for him. And the people in Asia are crying, and they're like, wait a minute, why are you going? Why?" And he says, look, stop trying to break my heart. I'm going to go because I'm willing to die for Christ. Why shouldn't I suffer imprisonment and persecution? Do we have that attitude? This was Paul's attitude. I'm willing to suffer for Christ for the sake of the gospel. So he's speaking to them and these people are listening and he talks about how he would, you know, baptized by Ananias and, and he, um, he receives his sight back after being blind for three days. And then he talks about going back up to Jerusalem. And when he's in Jerusalem, he goes into a trance and the Lord speaks to him. And he tells him that, you know, the Lord tells him, and I just love this, you know, this is, mm-hmm. this is in verse uh, 17 and following of, of chapter 22, where the Lord is, is, this was when Paul was first converted and he's gone up to Jerusalem and he's praying in the temple and he goes into a trance and the Lord says, make haste and quickly get out of Jerusalem because they will not accept your testimony. Do you remember when Jesus sent Ananias to baptize Paul? And Ananias said, wait a minute, Lord, I know all about this guy. Don't you know this is the guy who came here to Damascus to kill us all and arrest (laughs) us? The Lord is like, it's okay, Ananias. I know he is. I have all knowledge. I know this. And so now Paul is doing the same thing. Lord, they themselves know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was shed, I also was standing by approving and keeping the garments of those who killed him. And Jesus has to say, look, Paul, get out of Jerusalem, okay? (laughs) And I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, he reveals this to the people. He says this to this crowd of people who are listening. I will send you to the Gentiles. And oh boy, all of a sudden, the riot starts again because he mentions going to the Gentiles. Mm. And this is the Jews had misunderstood their calling. Their calling was to bring the nations to the Lord. They were supposed to bring... Yeah, all the nations to the Lord and the Lord to all the nations. But instead, every time they got in among the nations, they started worshiping the false gods of the nations. And aren't we having that same problem today? Are we bringing the Lord to the world and the world back to the Lord? Or are we compromising with the world and saying, oh, the Lord's not going to mind. He understands we're weak. And we're just going to go along with the world and get along and be nice to everybody. And as long as we're nice and everybody's nice and it's just nice and it's all nice and we're all brothers and sisters and it's just going to be nice. You know, Jesus didn't come to be nice. 
He said, I came, I came to cast a fire on the earth. I came with a sword and I will divide household because to follow him, we have to follow him with our whole heart and mind and soul. God has to be first. The first commandment is honor the Lord your God, right? You know, that's the first. So God has to be first in all of our lives. Larry, can I interrupt you? My, my line on that is who's influencing who? Right. So think about we're in our 60s and, you know, 40, 50 years ago when we were kids, uh, there seemed to be more of a Christian mentality in the culture. Right. So I think it's a fair statement, and I'm just observing from the facts, not yeah. opinions, no. that we've become less Christian in our culture. Uh, absolutely. And it's interesting. I remember when I heard Bishop Sheen warn, he prophesied this. He, he said, we will see the end of Christendom. Mm-hmm. I did not say Christianity, he said. I said Christendom. Mm-hmm. Christendom is that form of uh, government and society where Christ is the center and God and Christ are the center and the Ten Commandments are the guiding light of everybody's life. And he said, we will see the end of this. And I'm like, I hope you're wrong. Mm. And now I have watched. I've watched this prophecy come to to pass. It used to be that, you know, 75% of people in the United States went to church. And God was a regular part of the public life. And and our nation was supposed to be founded one nation under God. And gradually, little by little, in the West, we've pushed God out. It's like he has no place in the public arena. We can't mention God. We can't celebrate Christmas. We can't talk about Jesus in public. And it's like, what happened in our lifetime? In our very lifetime, all of this has happened. And again, why are we obedient? Are we giving God the obedience of faith? Are we making him first place in our lives? Are we really making him first? Or are we allowing the world to crowd him out. And we're saying, well, let's compromise with the girl so we don't get persecuted. They won't pick <laughs> we on us. We want to be comfortable. We want to be comfortable. We don't want anybody to pick on us. We don't want anybody to hate us. We don't want anybody to say, oh, we don't, you know, we don't like you. I like you. I like you. <laughs> okay. But, but let's be faithful to the Lord. And so Paul says, I, you know, the Lord sent me to the Gentiles. And then the riot starts again. Uh-oh. And then it gets interesting. So we'll okay. be back. That's a good teaser. It's going to get very interesting (laughs) in the Acts of the Apostles. You're listening to The Bible with the Barbers with Mary Barber, and this is Terry Barber. And we want to encourage you to continue to read your Bible every day. It's one of the five stones that we talk about on the Terry and Jesse Show. Absolutely. Go to Daily Mass if you can. All right. We'll be right back with much more. This is Jesse Romero. And I'm Terry Barber from the Terry and Jesse Show. And we invite you to listen to the Holy Hour of Power, High Energy Catholic Radio. We're two Catholics with a PhD in common sense. We're on Monday through Friday on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. What we're going to give you is masculine Catholic teachings on the faith. You know, we say we're too inspired to be tired. We're too protected to be dejected. And we're too renewed to be subdued. Why? Because we believe in Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. And we will take each issue of the day and show you how the Catholic Catholic Church has the answer for our culture. What we really do is bring men back into the Catholic Church, which it's about time to do. 
We want men to be leaders in their Catholic faith so that they can bring their family to heaven. Our program is not right versus left. It's right versus wrong. And our program is where Catholicism and culture intersect. It's high-energy Catholic radio. We're going to inspire you to fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ and his bride to the church. The Terry and Jesse Show on the Virgin Most Powerful app. In Luke 7, Jesus said, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven her because she has been shown great love. According to St. John of the Cross, Christians should always remember that the value of their good works is not based on number and excellence. Their value is based on the love for God that prompts them to do the works. May we always be motivated by true love for God and not worry so much about what we do, but why we do it. or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites the Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org 877-LIFE-US-1 Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome back here. And we are talking about Paul's final visit to Jerusalem. And Paul, we're in Acts 22 here. We're finishing up. Paul's been, the crowd tried to beat him up. The Romans come and rescue him from being killed. And now the Romans allow him to speak to his people. Remember, he's speaking to them in Aramaic. So his little speech there in Acts 22 is in Aramaic. So the Romans don't understand what he's saying. But at the end of it, he says, the Lord sent him to go preach to the Gentiles. And when he says that, right away, the crowd starts throwing dust and they're going to riot again. So the commander brings him into the garrison. Let's interrogate this man. Now, interrogation in the Romans meant tying you to a pillar and encouraging you. <laughs> and tell me what you're saying. Say it in my language so I can understand. So Paul doesn't say anything until they get the whips out and they're about to ready to scourge him. And then he looks at the centurion and he says, since when is it lawful to scourge a Roman citizen who has been not been condemned? Uh-oh. So the centurion stops everything and he goes to the, the commander and he says, did you know this guy's a Roman citizen? So the commander goes and says, well, wait a minute. How can you be a Roman citizen? You're a Jew. He said, I bought my citizenship. And, and Paul says, I was born a citizen. So in, when he was born in Tarsus, Paul was given citizenship. And, and so he, they can't scourge him unless he's condemned. So Paul says, okay, um, what's going to happen now? So the next day, the, the, the commander wants to know what's going on. So he's going to have um, the Jews come and accuse Paul and say what's going on. So in chapter 23, Paul comes before the council and he says, he first he starts his defense with, Brethren, I have lived before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest is standing there, and he tells one of the people standing next to Paul to strike Paul in the mouth. 
Well, Paul doesn't know who who gave the command. He doesn't know that the person who gave the command is the high priest. And he says, God shall strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you ordered me to be struck? So apparently there was nothing in the law that allowed. Paul knew the law. And there was nothing. He had done nothing to warrant that he should be struck. But they struck him. And then somebody says to him, well, would you revile the high priest? And Paul says, I didn't know it was the high priest. I'm sorry. So then Paul's going to make his defense. And Paul knows something. Um, half of these guys are Pharisees and half of these are Sadducees. Now, remember, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these two parties didn't always exist in Judaism. But a couple centuries before Christ, you had this party of the Sadducees that came up. And the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in demons. And they only accepted the first five books of the Bible as being inspired by God. So the Pharisees believed in angels, demons, the resurrection, and they accepted more of the scriptures than the Sadducees did. So Paul is a Pharisee. So perceiving that there's this split here, Paul addresses them and he says, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. With respect to my hope for the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial. Whoops-a-daisy. And so then, once he says that, some of the Pharisees stand up and say, we find nothing against this man. If, what if an angel or a spirit has spoken to him? Oh, boy. And then, then, then the guys are arguing among themselves. Now he's got the Sadducees and the Pharisees arguing amongst them because they don't agree on these doctrines. They don't believe this. They don't believe the same thing. Not all the Jews believe the same thing. They didn't have the church yet. They didn't have the authority of the Pope yet. So they believe different things. So they, they start arguing about you, and the dissension became violent. And it becomes so violent, the tribute is afraid they're going to tear Paul apart. So he sends his soldiers down there to take Paul out of the midst. And the following night, the Lord speaks to Paul, and he tells him, Take courage, for as you have testified about me here in Jerusalem, so will you do in Rome. So the Lord is telling Paul his destination from here on out is Rome. He will witness to Christ in Rome. So then um, the next day, the Jews get together and 40 men had bound themselves by an oath that they wouldn't eat or drink anything until they murder Paul. This, they made up their mind, this, this guy is just bad news He's going to destroy Judaism. He's establishing a new way. They don't want to accept that Christ is the Messiah. And so they want to destroy Paul. And they go to the, they go to the Sanhedrin and, the, and they tell him, look, the chief priests and the elders, and they say, we've bound ourselves by an oath. So what we want you to do is go to the, you know, the Antonia, the, the, the fortress of Antonia there and tell the Roman commander that you want to further cross-examine Paul and get to the bottom of what's going on. And we'll lie in wait. So when the Romans bring him out, we will kill him. Now, what's interesting is Paul's nephew, his sister's son, hears about this. And so he goes to visit his uncle in prison and he says, Paul, 40 men of the Jews have taken a vow that they're not going to eat or drink anything until they kill you. So Paul calls for the centurion and he's, now remember, he's got rights. Paul has rights. They know now that he's a Roman citizen. They got to be careful how they treat this guy because now 
as a citizen of Rome, he's entitled to their protection. And by the way, this um, fortress of Antonia, they had 600 Roman soldiers stationed there, 600. So there were several centurions and then the commander. So um, Paul says, he calls for the, the, the centurion. He said, take, take this young man to the tribune. He has something to tell him. So the centurion takes Paul's nephew to the tribune and he tells the tribune about the Jews plotting. They're going to ask you to bring Paul down to cross-examine him, but the reality is 40 men have vowed that they won't eat or drink anything until they've killed him. So that's what they're up to. So be very careful. So the tribune dismisses the young man and he tells him, don't tell anybody that you've been here or that you informed me of this. Tell no one. Okay. They may have known that he went there. He went to visit his uncle. That's all that's, you know, and he's not to talk to anybody. So he doesn't. So then what the tribune does is he gets two centurions and he tells them at the third hour of the night, get ready 200 soldiers and 70 horsemen and 200 spearsmen to go as far as Caesarea. This is how serious they were about protecting their own citizens. This is to protect one man. Okay. But remember this, this tribune has to cover himself because the tribune made a mistake. He arrested Paul and was going to have him scourged, assuming he was just a Jew. And he didn't find, he didn't even give him a trial. And then he found out he was a Roman citizen. So he's got to cover his tracks here. So in the meantime, he sits down and he writes a letter to Felix because they're going to send him to Caesarea. That's where the governor is. And that's Felix. So Claudius Lysias is the tribune. To your excellency, the governor Felix greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charges which they accused him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against this man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul, brought him by night to um, Antipartus. That was about halfway. Caesarea was about 60 miles away. So they leave in the night. They go under the cover of dark. So they travel about half the distance, and then they'll go to the rest of the way to Caesarea the next day, and they deliver him to the governor, and they presented him with the letter. And on asking the letter, he asked what, province he belonged to. And when he learned he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers arrive. So Paul has used his Roman citizenship very cleverly. And, you know, it's not wrongly, but in order to protect himself so that the gospel can continue and he can continue the mission that our Lord has asked of him. What's interesting is the letter that the Tribune writes he doesn't talk about the fact that he almost had Paul scourged. And he, does, he didn't find out, actually, he didn't find out when, when um, they were trying to kill him, that Paul, when the Jews were trying to kill Paul, beating him up. That's not when he found out Paul was a Roman citizen. He found out Paul was a Roman citizen when he was getting ready to scourge him, which was against the law. <laughs> so he's got to be careful what he says in his letter to Felix so he doesn't get himself in trouble. And he doesn't. He didn't get in trouble. He just, you know, Felix receives the letter and he receives Paul and he's going to hear him. But instead of the Jews being able to try him in Jerusalem, 
Now, the Jews are going to have to go to Caesarea. They're going to have to go, they're going to have to make the 60-mile journey to Caesarea. with their. So the 40 men aren't going to go, probably. Most likely, they're not all going to go there. They, you know, they've got to think of something else. So after five days, finally, the Anna, Anna, Ananias, Ananias um, the high priest, comes with the, the other elders, and they have this accusation they make before, you know, and their speak their spokesperson is Tertullus, and Tertullus is like the prosecuting attorney, and he tells the governor first he he butters up the governor. Oh, you've been so good to us, and you've been so kind to us, and you've done so many wonderful things for our nation, and we don't want to detain you further. So briefly, we're going to tell you that we found this man a pestilent fellow, an agitator among the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple. But we seized him. By examining himself, you will be able to learn about everything of which we have accused him. And the Jews said, oh, yes, yes, this is what we accuse him of. Well, it's interesting because Paul hasn't done any of these things. Paul is not an agitator. He hasn't gone about agitating people. Other people have caused agitation around Paul because of what Paul's preaching. They don't want to accept. And isn't this what happens you know, to Christians? And, and again, who was put on trial? Paul is on trial. Well, wait a minute. Why is Paul on trial? Because somebody tried to kill him? Isn't that ironic? (laughs) Isn't that what happens sometimes? That we do something that's just and right, or we we get beat up for something that we didn't do, and then we get on trial because everybody's mad at us. And it's like, well, wait a minute. What did I do? And it's okay. We're in good company. Remember, Jesus was on trial for something he didn't do. They brought false accusations against Jesus also. And this is the way of the follower of Christ. If they have hated me, they will hate you. Remember that. Whatever happened to me is going to happen to you. That's what Jesus told us. So Paul is going to defend himself here before Felix. And um, the music's starting here, so we're coming to the end of our session here today with Bible with the Barbers, and I really appreciate you listening, and I thank you all for your donations and all the help you're giving to Virgin Most Powerful Radio, and um, you can uh, listen to us on the podcast, don't forget, and pass the word on. Remember to tell others about Virgin Most Powerful Radio and about the Bible study. I will be here tonight for Bible study. We will not have Bible study in the chapel because the floors in the chapel are being redone. Please keep this project in prayer this week. Let it get done. We appreciate your prayers. We count on them. We can't do this without your prayers and your financial support. So thank you so much. And um, come to my Bible study tonight. If you're local, we'll be uh, up in the upstairs of the offices. And we hope to see you again next week on Bible with the Barbers. Keep us in prayer. Keep praying. Keep the faith and spread it. Thank you. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole Church, grant it love and the light of thy Spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O divine and great high priest, may the power of thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, 
pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.